Warning, this episode includes topics of murder, extreme violence, and substance abuse that some people might find offensive. Listener discretion is advised, especially for young children. Behind some of the biggest horror movies in history is a far more horrific true story. We debunk some of the most famous horror movies in hopes to see the truth behind them. After all, there's always more to uncover behind the story. Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Story. What a terrifically terrifying season we've had, and we are saddened to say that this will be the last episode of this season. But do not fear, we have an amazing episode for you. As always, I'm Yeshu Pasani, the paranormal believer who digs deep into the supernatural world and believes everything that's in it. And I'm Arvind Raghunathan, the skeptic that finds the real facts about these cases and proves that ghosts and demons are not real. We found that the best way to end the greatest season of the greatest podcast ever is with one of the most infamous cases in the world. That's right. We are talking about Amityville. The Amityville Horror is one of the most successful horror movie franchises, and frankly, there's not one specific movie we're talking about because there have been so many movies made about this one case. And this case involves the world's most famous supernatural investigators. You've heard them in our Conjuring episodes and in the Annabelle one as well. Of course, we're talking about none other than Ed and Lorraine Warren. Ed Warren is a demonologist, and Lorraine is a gifted clairvoyant, something who, someone who can sense supernatural presences and the two have investigating many mind-puzzling cases. We love the Warrens, and we love their cases, and that's why we chose this iconic case that got their name everywhere as our final episode. So turn up the volume, kick back, and listen to one of the world's most puzzling cases. Also, don't forget to leave us a message on our anchor.fm website with your thoughts about this amazing season. And now, let's get on with the episode. The Amityville House, a simple Dutch colonial house nestled in Amityville, New York, near Long Island, is the exact type of residence that you would never expect to be on Time Magazine's top 10 list of haunted places. But it is, all due to the horrifying murders that took place in the house. In the early hours of November 13, 1974, at 112 Ocean Avenue, 23-year-old Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr., the eldest child, confessed to murdering his entire family, which consisted of his parents, Luis and Ronald DeFeo, and his siblings, Don, who was 18, Allison, 13, Mark, 12, and John Matthew, 9. It is believed that these horrible murders are what kick-started the hauntings in the house. However, others have claimed that the DeFeo family were already subject to paranormal occurrences of their own. Did this mean that it wasn't these murders that started the hauntings, or were there already hauntings present, a possible driving force to make a man kill his entire family? Ronald DeFeo Jr.'s childhood was comfortable, but it wasn't great. His father was an abusive man, and his mother seemed to not be heard due to the overbearing personality his father possessed. Because of this, he was, a, he was troubled in his young adulthood. He began to rely on drugs and alcohol to deal with what he struggled with. He began to lash out on his parents and even physically threatened his father with a gun. His parents gave him an allowance and gifts in hopes to calm his son down, but nothing would make Ronald Jr. happy. At age 18, he also held a job at his family-owned auto dealership, but rarely showed up to work. In 1974, Ronald Jr. left work at noon, met with his friends at a bar, and constantly called his house, to which his calls were never answered. After that, he left town. 
The next time he was seen, nothing would ever be the same again. According to the book American Mass Murderers by Valerie Plaza, DeFeo entered the bar around 6.30 a.m. yelling, quote, you got to help me. I think my mother and father are shot, end quote. Some people followed him back to the house, and they too witnessed the terrifying sight. All six bodies were found in their beds, appearing to be shot with a high-powered rifle at around 3.15 a.m. Upon examining the scene, some strange things were found. There were no signs of struggle or evidence that they were drugged. No neighbors who were awake reported hearing gunshots, and the only noise was the DeFeo family's dog that was barking. Ronald DeFeo had an alibi of being at work and in the bar, but that all began to crumble as the police showed that the family had been dead before 6 a.m. DeFeo frantically changed his story as he would several more times while the murders were being investigated. At one point, he claimed that a mob hitman, Louis Fellini, killed his family and made DeFeo watch, but Fellini was out of state, and eventually DeFeo confessed to the murders. DeFeo stood trial on October 14, 1975. His attorney, William Weber, mounted an insanity plea and stated that the defendant heard voices that told him to kill his family. The prosecution argued that DeFeo was, was drug abusing and that he was completely aware of what he was doing when he committed the murders. A jury convicted him, convicted him on six counts of second-degree murder and sentenced him to six concurrent sentences of 25 years. Ronald DeFeo Jr.'s story has changed, allegedly claiming that his sister Dawn killed their father and then their distraught mother killed all the siblings. In this scenario, DeFeo only killed his mother. Now, the, the next year, on December 18, 1975, George and Kathy Lutz, along with their three children, moved into 112 Ocean Avenue House, which had cost them just $80,000. Why was it so inexpensive? It was all due to the horrid murders that had happened just a year earlier that made nobody want to buy the house. The Lutzes, however, believed they could handle it, and after having a family discussion, they bought the house. Just to be safe, though, the day they moved in, they had a priest, Father Ray Pecoraro, bless the house. According to Lutz, the priest said he felt an unseen hand slap him in the room and heard a voice say, quote, get out. After the priest became ill with flu-like symptoms and his, his hand soon began to bleed as well. The priest also warned the family about the room that belonged to Mark and John DeFeo, saying, quote, do not use the upstairs room as a bedroom and not, do not let anyone sleep in there, end quote. The family used the room as a sewing room. Despite all the strangeness, the family moved in anyway, and only a few days later did they too begin to experience strange things. Quote, there were odors in the house that came and went, Lutz said. There were sounds the front door would slam shut in the middle of the night. I couldn't get warm in the house for many days, end quote. The family kept the fireplace burning all day, even during the nighttime in an attempt to keep the place warm. The family also found strange drops with gelatin-like substance to them, on the carpet when they woke up in the mornings. Lutz also claims that sometimes his wife would physically transform into an old woman with wrinkles and gray hair, making her look like a nine-year-old. Mrs. Lutz's health also, also drastically declined while living in that house. Their daughter also began spending all her time in the, her room, playing with her imaginary friend she called Jody, who she described as a red-eyed pig, who could transform not only its shape, but its size as well, sometimes being larger than the house. Jody also claimed she could be seen by anyone, but she didn't want anyone but their daughter to see her. Now, if any kid ever tells me that they have an imaginary friend, I am never speaking to that child again. I mean, come on, like, that's terrifying. You've never had an imaginary friend? Did you? Yeah. 
Oh my god! Well, it's not like I saw him friend. like walking around or anything. I just like imagined a person. <laughs> That's kind of sad. I just made up a person. Who was like, hey, yeah, you live there now. I never did. I think the only reason I did because my sister had, and I was like, hey, yeah, that sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I still don't trust kids with imaginary friends. Hundreds of flies also soon started appearing in the sewing room in the dead of winter. Let's also claims that he woke up every night at 3.15 a.m. Now, 3 a.m. is supposed to be peak devil hour because it's a time where all negative spirits become active as a way to mock the Holy Trinity. However, for this house, 3.15 was also the time that the DeFeo family murders were said to have happened. This once again brings into question whether they were spirits that were already in the house when the DeFeo family lived there, or if it was the spirits of the DeFeo family that awoke Mr. Lutz. One night, he heard his children's bed, quote, slamming up and down on the floor, end quote. He was unable to get up, however, because there was an unforeseen force that didn't let him get up. Later that same night, he woke to see his wife levitating and moving across the bed. The family also tried to contact Catholic priests multiple times, but the phones always cut out. After failing to get these priests, the family walked around the house, armed with a crucifix, and recited the Lord's Prayer. A chorus of voices erupted in response, asking them, quote, will you stop, end quote. That night, loud marching noises sounded throughout the house. Banging was heard everywhere, and there were screams of their children being terrorized. The next morning, which was only 28 days after they moved in, the Lutz family left their house, leaving all of their clothes in the closet and all of their food in the refrigerator. Lutz says that if his family had not left, something horrible would have happened. Word spread of the Lutz's experience, as we've seen in most of these cases, and many people interested in the paranormal contacted them. 20 days after the Lutzes fled, Ed and Lorraine Warren were called in by Marvin Scott, a news reporter with Channel 5 New York, who was covering the Amityville story. A team of reporters, investigators, and parapsychologists, people who studied the supernatural, were all brought together by Ed Warren, and they met in front of the house. The Lutz family refused to enter the house for this investigation. During the investigation, Ed was physically pushed to the floor in the basement, and Lorraine was overwhelmed by the sense of a demonic presence, and she got psychic impressions of the DeFeo family bodies covered in white sheets. She also felt something physically push her back. The team also took an image of a little boy peering from the second floor. It is said that you can still see this little boy from the window if you go and look at the house. The land where the house was built was found to be used by John Ketchum, who was practicing black magic, and he had a cottage on the land before the construction of Amityville House was built. John requested that his remains be buried on that property, and they remain there to this day. Which is kind of crazy. Alright. Like, the house was built on his grave, basically. Right, and his remains are still there, so they're just... Under the house. Yeah, like, worn out bones and whatever. Right. The Shinnecock Indians also used the land to house the sick and mad, and many who were in this enclosure were left to die. The Warrens believed that there was so much suffering and dark history on the land the house was built on that it made sense it was a magnet for more demonic energy. The Warrens believed that this energy impacted the DeFeos just as it did to the Lutzes. Things returned to normal for the Lutz family after they left the house, and George Lutz wondered what had driven DeFeo to murder his family. Lutz contacted DeFeo's attorney, William Weber, who was fielding book proposers from publishers for DeFeo's story. 
Now that Amityville had another resident, the Lutzes, who also experienced the same thing, he knew that the book could be fantastic, so he agreed to hear Kathy and George Lutz. The Lutzes got nothing out of it, really. Rather, Weber got a ton of information after the Lutzes had a few more glasses of wine. Eventually, all of the earnings from the book and the movies were said to have profited the Lutz family as well, even though they didn't want much to do with it. And Armin's going to love this because he loves when people get money from their paranormal experiences. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We'll never really know what happens in the Amityville house. Are there really spirits that inhabit the house? After all, there are people that live in the house in 2020 who have yet to report anything paranormal. Were the Lutzes lying about everything? Is there actually a demonic presence in the house? And possibly one of the most pressing questions of all, was there a real supernatural entity that caused one man to kill his entire family? It's been nearly four decades later, and these questions still remain unsolved. Now, before we get to Arvid's case, here's a quick message about our sponsors. Okay, so now it's my turn to show you why there were no hauntings or anything supernatural going on in that house. First, let's start with the story of Christopher Quarantino. Quarantino was the stepson of George Lutz and the son of Kathy Lutz. He says that, quote, the Amityville horror books and movies were exaggerated to the point of fiction, end quote. He also claims that, quote, not one of the stories, the book, the movie, or the remake is accurate, end quote. Now, Quarantino was seven when the Lutzes first moved into the house, and now 30 years later, he claims that his stepfather, George Lutz, dabbled in the occult or supernatural and escalated the intensity of what happened in the house to make a profit off the many books and movies created. Quarantino remarks that he, George Lutz, is a professional showman in my opinion. Lutz even tried to sue his stepson over what Quarantino said. Quarantino states that uh, Lutz tried to sue him over allegations of trademark infringement and fraud relating to the new Amityville movie Lutz had planned. Quarantino also says that when the family first moved into the house in 1975, George Lutz was extremely curious about anything supernatural, one of the reasons he so readily moved into the house. Lutz even tried to summon supernatural beings using chants and rituals. He says Lutz moved into the house expecting something supernatural and tried his hardest to show it. Mrs. Lutz is the one who actually called the priest against his, wish- against his wishes. Lastly, Quarantino states that during the time, his family was a little down on money, and the cost of the house was like, quote, a miracle sent from heaven, end quote. Quarantino would not tell the press how their family afforded moving out, but it is highly suspected that they were able to afford the new house because of all the money they earned off all the news reportings and parapsychologists coming to their house to investigate. The other family members have refused comment on Quarantino's story. So now, my guess about what's all happening is that George Lutz made up this story because he wanted the money and liked the supernatural. And his family either went along or truly believed him. The most likely reason they all left when they did was because they had enough money and that I'm guessing other people wanted to see or stay in the house to see if their story was true. Now, Quarantino was the only one who didn't want to lie of the family. This is why I believe Lutz tried to sue him. The entire story was made up, and this is also supported by Ed and Lorraine's appearance and comments. As we all know, Ed and Lorraine are not to be fully trusted because of the many other cases 
they have been incorrect about in my in my point of view. Now, this is why there is nothing supernatural that happened in this case at all. Now, if you don't exactly know why Arvin thinks Ed and Lorraine are liars, basically. Okay, now putting words in your mouth, that's kind of what you're saying. Is that why is- do you not believe them? So, like I said, kind of like, because of all the evidence we have against them, especially in our other episodes, such as The Conjuring 1 and 2, based on their so-called gift, they haven't been completely accurate. And there are lots of facts disproving what they've said. So, you have to take what they say with a grain of salt. They, you can't base any fact off of what their, their reports were on this case. See, I told you guys he was going to use the whole money thing, and he did. It's, it is the most likely reasoning. I mean, it's factual, but also it's... Okay, here, here's a question for you, my non-supernatural believer. With Ronald DeFeo, when he murdered his entire family, do you think there's anything supernatural to do with it? No. It was either because of the alcohol and drugs he were doing, because of the history of abuse in his life, or a combo of the two. Because in a way, say if it was like there was a demon in his head or whatever, right? It's also that they didn't know the history of the house they were built on. So it's not like it could have gotten into their heads. Like, oh, it's, there's somebody practiced witchcraft on this land and therefore it's definitely a demon. So really, I mean, there could have been something that possessed him to kill the people. That, that could be a possibility if demons really existed, which they do not. And then also, I think it's pretty interesting how the only person, in a way, I guess this kind of favors you a little bit more, who has been making statements is George Lutz. Like, no, his wife didn't, his kids didn't. Right. No one really made a statement. So either it's because it was so traumatic they don't want to believe it, or maybe George just didn't let them talk about it. That's that's what one of my guesses was. Either... They were so convinced that something supernatural was happening because of what their father had said, or they just went along with it either because they agreed they needed the money or because they just wanted to go along with whatever their dad said. Right. And also with like, with when the Lutzes moved in with that side, when that, with that resident of Amityville, it was really only the family that witnessed these said events. Like we've right. seen, with poltergeist, many, many people saw what happened right. in that. Especially with the Einfield poltergeist. A lot of people reported yeah. a similar story. They like I think this is like our one case where really there's been very little people that actually saw the house. It's kind of similar to Conjuring 1, where it's kind of so focused around this one family. And all that they say is what, 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 what we think happened. That's true, but... At least the Parrot family from the Conjuring 1 episode, and if you haven't heard it, definitely check it out. They, like, everyone in the family talked. The kids, the, one of the kids wrote a whole trilogy on what happened. True. So it's like, with the, with this house, which I think is why Amityville was the case that made Ed and Lorraine Warren so famous, was because there were so many different sides to it in a way. Right. Because there's like a whole dark history to it, so that could be a real thing. Also, a guy murdered his entire family. Was it just from drugs? Was it because of the supernatural? You know, there's lots of like different guesses and different routes that people can take on Amityville. 
we should see the house. We should go. I'm gonna we should go. One day. Definitely. Yeah, it'll be cool. Maybe we'll see that little boy in the window. <laughs> if we do, we should go. We, what we should do is we should, one of us stay down, down at the outside. So he shows up and then one of us goes behind him and just asks him questions. See if he responds. Yeah, yeah that sounds like a good plan. Now we can see if he's actually just a random kid just wandering around or if he's a ghost. If he was a ghost, wouldn't he just, like, evaporate? Yeah, but, I mean, at least we would see him. (laughs) Are you sure? Yeah, would that make you believe in ghosts? Yeah, no, if I saw him and then he just evaporated in front of my eyes, then, bam, I'd just be, I'd be flipped. Then you've been, then you've been turned. But, I mean, if he just stood there and just, like, walked past me and out the door, then I'd be like, yeah, no. (laughs) What? Because, like, if he evaporates, then obviously he's not human. But if he just ignores me and leaves. Okay, what if he's in the window... And then he, like, walks away from the window. Okay, that wouldn't prove anything. He could be a ghost. He could be a human. I wouldn't know. So only if he's in the window and we see him and then he evaporates. Only if he does some, like, ghost behavior. <laughs> what do you want to do? Make him make you levitate? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> hey, little boy. Can you make us fly? Yeah. <laughs> Are you Peter Pan? <laughs> oh, my God. Or if he, like, possesses one of us and tries to get their, uh, us to kill the other. I mean, I did jinx you in the last episode. Exactly. So. <laughs> You're gonna get me killed. Oh, uh, maybe. It'll be a fun episode. Wow. <laughs> the death of Arvind. Yeah. Did, was he really, you know, was he really possessed by a demon? Or, as he would say, <laughs> nothing was real. At least when Arvind went out, he went out believing in ghosts. <laughs> yep. Okay, collusion? Let's do it. Amityville is considered to be the Warren's most famous case, and that is no surprise, as the case itself is a puzzling, amazing combination of what could be paranormal and what could just be a family looking for money. We hope you all enjoyed this amazing season of Behind the Story. We've had a lot of fun telling you guys all of these incredible stories, and we hope you enjoyed the constant fight between Yeshvi and me. That's true, and I think it's safe to say that I won this season. I mean, come on. All these ghosts and demons and poltergeists are obviously real. Nah, can't agree. I think I definitely made our audience see that all of those things are completely fiction. Well, regardless of which side you took, we know it's mine. We'd like to give a shout out to all of our listeners. We had listeners from countries like Germany, India, Canada, Ireland, and so many more, as well as states all over the United States. From California to Ohio to Virginia and many more states as well. Thank you so much for your endless support. Even though this season is over, be prepared to see a couple fun episodes along the way. Answering some of your questions that you can leave on us from our, on our Anchor FM website or just giving you a fun story that relates to the time when we release it. Keep checking back with us because you never know what's going to be in store for the possible season two. After all, there's always more to uncover behind the story. See you next time. Look at that. We did it. We did an entire season of a podcast. I know. Seven episodes. We're too good. We're too good. That we're, I don't know. Like, I, the ending, I think I tried to keep it like maybe there's a season two, but I'm not promising you one. Right. I mean, I think what we'll probably do is just like release a few random episodes along the way. Right. Because I'm thinking, because like one of my ideas was that when Hall- when Christmas rolls around, we do a quick little thing on like Krampus. Mm, yeah, you know? I think yeah, we, we, it would probably be best to just like the random holidays, just do random stories about those holidays. That's what I mean. So then like, so Halloween will come soon. We'll do something fun for Halloween. Because that way, oh, oh, we can kind of pull a switch on that. Because like for all of these season one things, 
It's like you provide the background of the story, then you provide the points on which, and then I provide the counterpoint, right? Yeah. And for all the things about, like, holidays, I can provide, like, the history of the holiday, then you say why it's haunted, then I say why it's not haunted. Yeah, we can do it. Dang. Okay, yeah, this is a good idea. Then I'll also have breaks on the holidays, so we'll actually have time to work on them. Exactly. That's what I mean. Like, holidays are the main part, and then... Whatever happens next summer or whatever doesn't happen, we'll figure that out then. Yeah, sounds like a great idea. Cool. All right, I got to get this edited. Cool, yeah. See you Bye. next time. <laughs> I'm behind the story. <laughs> See, I told you guys he was going to use the whole money thing, and he did. It's, it, it is the most likely reasoning. I mean... It's factual, but also, it's, okay, Here, here's a question for you, my non-supernatural believer. With Ronald DeFeo, when he murdered his entire family, do you think there's anything supernatural to do with it? No. It was either because of the alcohol and drugs he were doing, because of the history of abuse in his life, or a combo of the two. Because in a way, say if it was, like there was a demon in his head or whatever, right? It's also that they didn't know the history of the house they were built on. So it's not like it could have gotten into their head, like, oh, it's there's somebody practiced witchcraft on this land and therefore it's definitely a demon. So really, I mean, there could have been something that possessed him to kill the people. That that could be a possibility if demons really existed, which they do not. And then also, I think it's pretty interesting how the only person, in a way, I guess this kind of favors you a little bit more, who has been making statements is George Lutz. Like, no, his wife didn't, his kids didn't. Right. No one really made a statement. So either it's because it was so traumatic they don't want to believe it, or maybe George just didn't let them talk about it. That's that's what one of my guesses was. Either... They were so convinced that something supernatural was happening because of what their father had said, or they just went along with it either because they agreed they needed the money or because they just wanted to go along with whatever their dad said. Right. And also with like, with when the Lutzes moved in with that side, when that, with that resident of Amityville, it was really only the family that witnessed these said events. Like we've right. seen... With poltergeist, many, many people saw what happened right. in that. Especially with the Einfield poltergeist. A lot of people reported yeah. a similar story. They like I think this is like our one case where really there's been very little people that actually saw the house. It's kind of similar to Conjuring 1, where it's kind of so focused around this one family. And all that they say is what, 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 what we think happened. That's true, but... At least the Parrot family from the Conjuring 1 episode, and if you haven't heard it, definitely check it out. They, like, everyone in the family talked. The kids, the, one of the kids wrote a whole trilogy on what happened. True. So it's like, with, the, with this house, which I think is why Amityville was the case that made Ed and Lorraine Warren so famous, was because there were so many different sides to it, in a way. Right. Because there's like a whole dark history to it, so that could be a real thing. Also, a guy murdered his entire family. Was it just from drugs? Was it because of the supernatural? You know, there's lots of like different guesses and different routes that people can take on Amityville. We should see the house. We should go. I'm we should go. One day. Definitely.
Yeah, it'll be cool. Maybe we'll see that little boy in the window. <laughs> if we do, we should go. We, what we should do is we should, one of us stay down, down at the outside so he shows up and then one of us goes behind him and just asks him questions. See if he responds. Yeah, yeah that sounds like a good plan. Now we can see if he's actually just a random kid just wandering around or if he's a ghost. If he was a ghost, wouldn't he just, like, evaporate? It's yeah, but, like... I mean, at least we would see him. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, would that make you believe in ghosts? If we yeah, no, him? if I saw him and then he just evaporated in front of my eyes, then bam, I, I'd just be, I'd be flipped. Then you've been, then you've been turned. But, I mean, if he just stood there and just, like, walked past me and out the door, then I'd be like, yeah, no. <laughs> what? Because, like, if he evaporates, then obviously he's not human. But if he just okay, ignores so me and what leaves. If, okay, what if he's in the window... And then he, like, walks away from the window. Okay, that wouldn't prove anything. He could be a ghost, he could be a human, I wouldn't know. So only if he's in the window and we see him and then he evaporates. Only if he does some, like, ghost behavior. <laughs> what do you want him to do, make, him, make you levitate? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> hey, little boy, can you make us fly? Yeah. <laughs> Are you Peter Pan? <laughs> oh, my God. Or if he, like, possesses one of us and tries to get their, uh, us to kill the other. I mean, I did jinx you in the last episode. Exactly. So. <laughs> You're gonna get me killed. Oh, uh, maybe. It'll be a fun episode. Wow. <laughs> the death of Arvind. Yeah. Did, was he really, you know, was he really possessed by a demon? Or, as he would say, <laughs> nothing was real. At least when Arvind went out, he went out believing in ghosts. <laughs> yep. Amityville is considered to be the Warrens' most famous case, and that is no surprise as the case itself is a puzzling, amazing combination of what could be paranormal and what could just be a family looking for money. We hope you all enjoyed this amazing season of Behind the Story. We've had a lot of fun telling you guys all of these incredible stories, and we hope you enjoyed the constant fight between Yeshvi and me. That's true, and I think it's safe to say that I won this season. I mean, come on, all of these ghosts and demons and poltergeists are obviously real. No, I can't agree. I think I definitely made our audience see that all of those things are completely fiction. Well, regardless of which side you took, we know it's mine. We'd like to give a shout out to all of our listeners. We had listeners from countries like Germany, India, Canada, Ireland, and so many more, as well as states all over the United States, from California to Ohio to Virginia and many more states as well. Thank you so much for your endless support. Even though this season is over, be prepared to see a couple fun episodes along the way, answering some of your questions that you can leave on us from our, on our Anchor FM website, or just giving you a fun story that relates to the time when we release it. Keep checking back with us because you never know what's going to be in store for the possible season two. After all, there's always more to uncover behind the story. See you next time.